Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast featuring Reverend Jane Hyatt. So that song really was, um, it was so powerful. All those circumstances, some of them are beautiful circumstances and some of them not so beautiful, like flying off your motorcycle and that's it for here. (laughs) Um, That's not so beautiful while it's happening. And yet, what's left? Unconditional love. That's the truth of who we are and what is there for us. And in our lives right now, there may be circumstances that are very, very hard to love. Some of us are going through things that have us reeling. And we don't know how to love them. But love is who we are. And that's the thing for us to remember. There is a, um, a line in the Bible that says, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that we might have life in our fullness. And in unity, we don't take that literally. We don't take anything in the Bible or actually anywhere else, literally. We do it, what's called metaphysically, and it's like we, we take that and, and ask ourselves, what is that to us? So there is no God who's out there, like Eric sitting over there at the piano, who's going to take action on us who are out here. God is a field of energy. It's everywhere. It's pure potential. It's pure love. That's what it is. And that love was so great that it birthed itself. That's what a son is. It's it's the expression of love. It birthed itself as a world, as the people in the world. It wasn't that we in the world finally got it right and we did it good enough, and so God loved us. That's not what that means. It means we are that expression in form. Spiritual beings having a human experience means we are the spiritual energy of love in form. That's who we are. And as situations come along, we tend to forget that, right? Anybody ever forgotten <laughs> that that's who you are? So I invited Dee Elko to come and share the talk with me today. Dee has a really powerful story about forgetting and remembering. And when she was telling me this recently, I said, oh, please, you have to come and, and share this with everybody. So Dee. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is it on? Let's Hello. see. Now it is. Hello. Okay. <laughs> no. It's green. Hello. <laughs> Good morning again, everybody. Um, yeah, this is an experience. I am not comfortable talking in front of all these people, but it is a, a subject that I have been fortunate enough to experience um, that is that I would like to share with everybody. And 
So many of you know that when my husband and I moved here in May of 2015, we were retiring here, and we uh, found property in Aubrey Glen and went to build our dream home. And uh, five or six months into that, my husband was diagnosed, Scott was his name, was diagnosed with uh, stage four stomach cancer. So for someone like him that was very much in control of his life. He was a scientist and rigid and a planner and now all of a sudden he was faced with uh, a horrible diagnosis and uh, no like one or two percent chance of, of beating it which you know and him being the sleuther that he was he went right to that internet looked up all the doom and gloom and, and everything that was surrounded around that cancer and became withdrawn, and uh, he ended up taking all that anger out on me, the, his caregiver. Um, and you know, as his caregiver, I knew he was going through a horrible thing, so I let, you know, would forget it, and you know, let the wounds just keep happening. But after a while, it became very painful and hurtful because he became very mean. Mm -hmm. and um, anger, full of anger, and it, it, it all got directed towards me. And this one particular time, it was right after we moved into our home, so he was diagnosed in October. We moved in in December, and um, we had this horrible fight. But instead of me, normally, you know, I would just, okay, walk away, be gone for a little while, be hurt, um, but I, I never really did fight back. But this one particular time, I, I did fight back, and I said some really just as nasty, mean things as he did. And um, of course, afterwards, I felt horrible. I felt guilty. I was ashamed of myself. I probably told him I hated him. Uh, lots of, you know, whatever it, whatever it was that I said, I don't even remember. I just know that I was very very much ashamed of myself. And like normal, what he would do when he would get, get into his meanness, he would go upstairs and um, ignore me, sleep up there, maybe come down and get a bite to eat here or there, but he could go weeks <laughs> if I let him without communicating with me. He was very stubborn. So in that uh, state of mind that I was, is just total despair. I, um, I was really more upset with myself because I had, that was the first time I had ever lashed out right back at him. And I um, went to pray and uh, meditate. And like what you were saying, Dick, you know, it's, it's that little, it was a little bit more powerful a voice, but my intention was, you know, to, to, to listen to spirit. And what, what, what can I do to make this despair and pain go away. And immediately, it was immediate, the message was, love him unconditionally. And I was <laughs> not in a position of loving him. I mean, I was in a position of, you deserve you know, my <laughs> anger back. But when that message came to me, it wasn't just those words in my mind, it wasn't powerful, powerful, powerful feeling of unconditional love. In that moment, I 
loved him unconditionally despite what he had done. And I knew exactly what I needed to do. Like I said, it was so powerful, not just the words. It was that feeling, that feeling of unconditional love. But I will always have, be able to anchor back to um, that's how powerful it was. I went right upstairs, and I told him that I was, that I loved him, and that I was sorry for getting angry and saying whatever it was I had said. <clears throat> and I knew he wasn't ready to talk back with me or communicate. I just wanted to tell him that. I went back downstairs, went about my business, and it took him a couple of days to come around and start speaking to me again. But it didn't bother me. I didn't take it personally. I was kept, I chose to keep myself in that state of unconditional love. And over the next few days, next few weeks, um, he transformed. And he, we never had another argument like that. And he would start getting in his little moods every once in a while, but it just never went anywhere. Never went anywhere. In the next six months, he lived six months longer, were beautiful. And he died in peace. And was, it was a very peaceful death. And so my message is that this unconditional love just did not, it wasn't just for him. <laughs> it was me that needed to transform my state of being and, my, and, and the way I was thinking. And once I did that, I mean, I am so fortunate, uh, fortunate to have witnessed that miracle in him, seeing him transform and be able to understand what unconditional love was. And so that's my story. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That is such a powerful story. And I, I think what she's identified is that it's the change in us that's important. You know, we, when we see the lack of love in the world, we think about the other person, but it's us. We are the ones that we need to transform. And when we make that transformation, healing radiates out from us to everyone around us. And miracles like that become available because it's contagious. You know, it's like when you go someplace and you see somebody with a great smile. I mean, just think about it. It's hard to be. <laughs> I mean, really, how long can you keep that up when somebody is just busy being happy? It's the same thing with love. If you're really grounding yourself in being the love that you are, you become irresistible. And irresistible in the sense that your love is tangible to others. And it helps them to remember who they are. How many of you um, saw the play or read the book or saw the movie Wrinkle in Time? Yeah, a lot of you. So in Wrinkle in Time, it's a science fiction story, and um, this very ordinary middle school girl named Meg ends up with 
having to save her father who is stranded on some other planet in some galaxy far away. And her younger brother who goes with her ends up getting trapped in that too. And they are trapped in this system of evil, let's just call it that, where they forget who they are, where they can't get home to who they truly are and who they love and how they choose to be. They're trapped. And the way that she saves them, she tries fighting, but that doesn't work, just like it didn't work for Dee when she stooped to her husband's level and started screaming at him and calling names. That doesn't work because it's out of alignment with who we are. So what worked for her was to remember who she was, to remember herself as love, to love herself perhaps for the first time because you know how it is when you're in middle school, you're so aware of what you're not and, and what you're supposed to be. And that was true for her. And somehow in this process, she was able to love herself and to remember the love that she had for her family. And in that love was so powerful that it created a wrinkle in time and space. And the wrinkle was like taking this and taking that and folding it together. And now the father and the brother are with her, free from that evil. She has created a wrinkle that takes separation and eliminates it. So wherever it is that we are experiencing separation or somebody else is experiencing separation, we just call them <laughs> and say, come back here. <laughs> this is what is truth. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> there is a young woman, um, Jose, most of you know Jose, our, she's an active member with Helping Hands in our community, and her younger sister is in ICU in a coma, and she's there because she has not been able to love herself. <clears throat> She, um, she has struggled with an eating disorder for a long time, which has caused great grief to her, her whole family. And, and as a result of having an eating disorder and not getting the nutrition she needs, she's been in a state of depression. And her body has shut down and taken her into the hospital. And she may not make it through. Or she may. She has been... Um, Jose let us know that this was going on and asked for prayers, and so I'm putting this out to all of you as well. Our prayer council and Silent Unity have been holding her in prayer, and she is showing little bits of improvement. And um, perhaps she will come through. Perhaps she will come through this experience and learn to love herself. There's a, a book um, by Anita Murjani, some of you may have read, called Dying to Be Me. And that she went through this tremendous cancer process. And she was literally dying. And 
in the process, what she discovered in the process of her healing was she was dying because she had not loved herself. And that was what had to happen. So as we, as we think about our lives and we think about the places where love is not happening, we need to start here. What are we not loving in our, in our physical bodies, in our families, in our way of being in the world, in our world that's immediate around us, the, the greater world? Where are we not being love? And that's what we need to change. We need to start by remembering who we are. We are the divine that just burst into form as love. We are that. Love is not something we have to get, like, oh, I wish I had a partner who would love me because I don't love me. Somebody's got to have the job. You know, has that ever worked for you? You know, when, when we attract a partner from that perspective, what do we get? We get somebody who tells us what's wrong with us. Has anyone ever done that? I think so. <laughs> you know, we learn that that doesn't work by doing it. And then hopefully we, we shift that into a place of, no, this is my job. I am 100% responsible. You know how they say in the hospital, well, who's the responsible party? <laughs> Nobody's sitting in this room with the exception of Blaze and Miles and Miles and Ben over there. Nobody gets to say, it's my mother. <laughs> uh-uh. They get to say it. We say, it's me. I am the responsible party for my life. I am responsible for remembering that I am love, for being that love everywhere I go, for expressing that love in concrete ways like the kindness challenge and saying, you know, even though you're not saying, how may I love you? You know, that would be a little weird to go up to a stranger. <laughs> but. But you're, you're breaking that love down into components like kindness. Is there some way that I could help you to have a better day by something I say or by something that I do? That's love in action. It's putting that first. It's knowing that when horrible things happen in our world or in our lives, and they do happen, that it is a call for us to be love. For us to remember that despite all of that that is not light, love, we can create a wrinkle in time and space. And we can bring love here, now. That is possible for all of us, all ways. Because it's who we are. We just have to remember that. Just take a minute right now. Close your eyes. And ask yourself, where is love knocking on your door?
Where is love wanting to burst forth? Through the windows of your soul into this world. Where have you been withholding love? Who are the Scots in your life who right now have not earned that love, but you get to give it anyway? yourself imagine how it would be if you could just be love and let that energy radiate from you into love songs on a literal level it's about a boy and a girl or whatever but on a metaphysical level it's about ourselves these aspects of ourselves that are longing for each other it's the sense of separation and we want this love we want to promise this love forever of ourself to our greater self. Of our greater self to our walking around in the room self. And when we listen to love songs, with that knowing, they sing us back home. They create a wrinkle in time and bring us back home to who we truly are. So we're going to listen to a love song now. And our invitation is to come home, to be that love again. <laughs> 